Hi, this is episode four of the Therapy Explained podcast. Today we're going to talk about internal family systems or IFS. To do so, I'm joined by IFS therapist Marie Tierney. Marie explained the model of therapy that is IFS, which is in some ways a step away from how we've come to understand our mind. Rather than a singular entity or personality, IFS views our mind as having multiple personalities or parts, as well as a self with a capital S. We spoke about the theoretical foundations of IFS, the categories our parts can fall into, and how our self can help heal parts which may have taken on difficult experiences from a young age that continue to burden us in the present. If you find yourself getting caught between two minds, or even if a party takes control when you'd rather not go down that road, then I think you'll find this discussion particularly relevant. As ever, please remember to like, subscribe and share so that others can learn more about what therapies are available out there. Hello and welcome back to the Therapy Explained podcast. Uh, This week I am delighted to be joined by Marie Tierney. Marie is a psychotherapist in private practice and she's based in Galway. Marie specialises in internal family systems and EMDR therapy. Hi Marie, Uh, thank you for joining me today. Hi James, it's lovely to be here with you. Mm, uh, I really appreciate you joining me today. Today we're going to speak about internal family systems, uh, Marie. You know, it's something that really caught my eye when I came across it probably about six months ago. Um, and I've, uh, yeah, it's it's been something I've been really drawn to and really interested in. So I've been really excited to talk about it today. Um, if you wouldn't mind uh, starting off by just kind of giving me an overview of what internal family systems is. Yeah, so um, that's a big question. So I'm going to invite you to maybe stop me if I if I go on for too long because it's something I'm really passionate about and I could talk about it for a long time. So I'll try and keep this as brief sure. as possible. I'll try and rein you um, in if I need to at any stage. So internal family systems therapy, it's, it's a model of psychotherapy. It's a complete model of psychotherapy. And it was developed by Richard Schwartz, um, an American family systems therapist, uh, about 40 years ago now, I think, maybe 30 years, but anyhow, several decades ago. And basically, he discovered through his work with um, clients who had eating disorders and history of sexual abuse and you know, quite severe childhood trauma um, and uh, self-harming, he was trying to use family systems therapy and um, as he says himself he found he could heal the family system but the person who was carrying the wounds his client wasn't being healed so um, Richard Schwartz talks a lot about this in podcasts but basically one day he came in and he he kind of threw in the towel he said look I can't beat this self-harming part you know and, and I really want to help you and the client started talking about parts mm. so she started talking about the part that wanted to harm herself by cutting and other parts then that didn't want to do that and that's how it was born so it's really it's a model of multiplicity of the mind so this idea that we're not one unitary personality that we have parts and the reason that parts is used to describe these different aspects or sub personality is because that's what um richard's he's known as dick schwartz that's what dick's clients were telling him that's the word that he was using so this that they were using so this was something really that came from practice from his clients mm. and if 
if I could just yeah. uh, stop you or pause you there for a moment, Marie, and just to kind of go back a moment, um, just to kind of understand uh, uh, Dick Swartz's background, because uh, from my understanding, he was, as you say, a family systems therapist. And I think at the time he was working with um, eating disorder clinics. That's right. Um, and so family systems, my understanding of that is it, is it you're trying to get families to communicate with each other so that maybe they can um assert themselves better be have better boundaries yeah. do you know i know we're not talking about yeah. family systems today but was that kind of the the background yeah. his own background yeah, yeah. And, and that's actually a really good question it's a very important question james so thanks for asking that because yes he was a family systems therapist and i think when family systems therapy was developed, there was a woman called Virginia Satare who developed it. And they thought they had really found the holy grail because they thought that this was different from traditional psychotherapy where you work internally or one-on-one with one individual. Mm. Whereas with family systems, they take a more systemic view. So working with the system that the person is in, so i.e. the family. And... Um, the idea was that you would bring in, like, let's say there's a teenager who is has an eating disorder or is self-harming, you would bring in the parents. And often there's, there's you know, dysfunction in the family system. So working with the parents and maybe the siblings, um, it was believed to help um, the individual client. Um, so, yeah, so that's family systems therapy. I'm not a family systems therapist, but just to continue this and then I'll pause is, the important thing I think that Dick Schwartz discovered, and he'd learned this from his clients, remember this was something he, he didn't develop this um, on his own, he developed it by listening to his clients, was he took what he knew about family systems therapy and brought it inside. So he so hence the name internal family systems therapy, that's where the name comes from. Um, so this idea that we have an internal family or different parts of ourselves inside and it you can use, he took some of the principles of family systems therapy, but also other psychotherapies um, and to develop internal family systems to work with parts inside. Mm, so so um, there's a, a lot of transferable skills that went from being a, a family systems therapist to that when uh, his clients started to talk about these different parts, I wonder, was there a bit of a light bulb moment for him to thinking, mm, I wonder if uh, how we help families communicate and work together if that applies to our these internal family systems that we have yeah you know i think dick schwartz is a very smart guy he, he's quite a modest unassuming man and um, quite humble but he's also highly um you know intelligent and i think the gift that he brought was that he was able to see the bigger picture take a systemic view um from his background in family systems therapy and then he, because of his humility, um, he was also open to what his clients were telling him, but also open to influences from other um, um, psychotherapy modalities and traditions, not just family systems therapy. So internal family systems, you know, it, it, it has a lot of influences. So I know in the early days, it was very much influenced as well by Hakomi. I don't know if you're familiar with Hakomi therapy. No. So this is a model of therapy that was developed by Ron Kurtz, another brilliant psychotherapist. And it's it's very much about organicity and flow. It takes its kind of principles from Taoism. So very much about just being in the moment and again, listening to clients, but based in the body. So that's the other thing about internal family systems. And I think this is very much the Hakomi influences. It's very much a body 
based psychotherapy or what's known now as experiential psychotherapy, which is, I think, quite a shift. It's, you know, internal family systems is also quite a paradigm shift um, away from traditional talking, the talking cure that Freud uh, developed, which is, you know, it's the whole basis of modern psychotherapy. But experiential psychotherapies like internal family systems, like the ADEP model, like EMDR, they're very much bottom up. Um, so very much, you know, working with sensations, a felt sense in the body, but also integrating aspects of cognitive therapies too. So it's not that we throw those out, it's just that we, it's very much an integrative model of psychotherapy. And when you say body-based, is that, by that do you mean uh, the the parts that we have might be related or are aligned to certain parts of our body? That's one possibility. So, for example, when, when just to give you an example of, of how like a, um, an internal family systems um, therapy session might go. So the first part is to identify the first, you know, um, part of the therapy or therapy session. The opening is to identify a target part. So a target part could be um, an aspect of the, the, the person's uh, bodily or somatic experience. So if somebody has a, a tension or a discomfort, we might start with that. And there's a whole branch of another subspecialty within internal family systems called somatic IFS developed by a woman called Susan McConnell. Um, so and I'm, I don't want to get into that because I don't want to go off mm. on a tangent, but just to, to note that as well. Mm. Uh, yeah. No, that, so, that's really so that's one way. But the, the other way, James, is just to, to, to finish this thread is that when we identify that target part, I'll usually ask the client to go inside and just notice where that part, let's say they're working with a part that's an anxious part, for example, which is quite common. Where do you notice? Where does that part show up in or around the body is 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 one of the opening phrases that's used in internal family systems. And it's to help the person to drop from their head into their body and notice where how they're experiencing these parts. So if somebody says, I'm anxious, how do you know you're anxious? What are the cues from your body that tell you? Um, you know, what what does anxious, how do you know? What's the felt sense? Is there something in your stomach? Is there is your heart racing? You know, etc. So so that's I think a little flavour of how we use the body in IFS. As you mentioned earlier, um, it being a paradigm shift uh, in some ways, the um, the body, the experiential part of it, uh, you know, that's very relevant to EMDR. So with EMDR, you might think of present triggers, you know, and that might be uh, situations, you know, thoughts, emotions or sensations. And so sometimes it can be a top down approach, as you say, OK, wh- what's the where do you feel your body when you think like that? But sometimes it can be a bottom up approach where like, where do you feel that? and use that as a guide um, but also it's interesting that you mentioned how you kind of uh, want to uh, to kind of work with it where it is in the body you know as in not just to think about things which again with EMDR it's uh, it's not necessarily a it's a back of the brain sometimes it's described as that a back of the brain therapy so it's not like we're trying to reason or rationalize things we're working exactly. with the whole body rather than maybe just that rational part of our body yeah and um, if we could just come back to the parts because I guess this is one of uh, one of the core tenets of IFS is um, how Dick Swartz has categorized the parts. Can you tell me uh, a little bit more about that, Marie? Yeah, so um, so basically he there's two subtypes of parts. Um, one of them is protectors. So these is 
protectors are what we might think about in traditional psychotherapy as defences or resistance. Um, so, and I, what the, what the, the other thing I want to say about IFS before I talk a little bit more about the parts, the thing that really drew me to it is that it's a very depathologizing model of psychotherapy. So um, all of the language in IFS is very much about, um, it's almost the opposite to the DSM, you know, the, the Diagnostic and mm. Statistical Manual that the American Psychiatric Association have, where they classify mm. all the different psychiatric and mental health conditions. Um, and, and IFS is almost the opposite of that, It's f because that's labelling, whereas mm. IFS doesn't label, even though we talk about parts. So, mm. so, so the language is, is, is around protectors, not defences. So it's, it's very much, you know, it's, I think it's much mm. kinder and much softer. And then, so that's one main group of parts is protectors. And then the second main group is what's known as exiles. So the exiles are the ones that the protectors are protecting. So these are often the vulnerable parts of ourselves that get exiled, um, often, you know, in childhood because, um, you know, something might happen, there might be a trauma, but it could also be something happened like you got bullied at school and there was nobody there to listen to you. So that part of you that got bullied and might have felt ashamed because of that then gets exiled. So shame is often a part that gets exiled in our systems as well. Um, and then just to develop that a little bit more, so we basically have protectors and then the exiles, which are the ones that the protectors are protecting. But in there's two subgroups of protectors. So on the one side, there's the managers, and these are very much the proactive, socially acceptable parts. So the ones who get you out of bed in the morning, get you to work on time. And in terms of psychotherapy, the ones like who might be people pleasing, the ones who um, make sure that, you know, things get done in your life um, or who, who protect maybe by criticizing or judging you. So if you have a shamed part that's been exiled, there might be another part who starts to shame you internally um, because it, it has good intention, it's trying to help, but often it, it the, the impact of, of the manager, such as a critic or a judging part, can be the opposite of what it intends. Mm. And then the other side of the, uh, or the other subgroup of protective parts is what's known as firefighters. And these are often soothing behaviours, or another way of saying soothing behaviours might be addictive behaviours. So as you know, you know, addiction is, is so endemic in our society. And, uh, you know, it's not just the, you know, the really the, the, the life threatening or harmful addictions, but there's so many addictions like addiction to the Internet, to gambling, to food, you know. So and often the, the intention of these parts is to help soothe, again, mm. the exiled parts that, that are underneath. Um, so so they're the main group. So we have mm. protectors protecting the exiles and then two subgroups of protectors being the managers and then the firefighters which are the more reactive um, parts so I don't know if that, if that gives you a good sense of the different no, parts it, it gives me a good sense of those parts just a couple of questions come to mind um, just to start with the exile so do you know an exile part when we think about that is that like in the subconscious because I guess the sense of exile I, it almost alludes to that it's there we don't it's not there anymore. Mm. It's gone. Yeah. Um. It, would that be a way of understanding it? That you know that part of us is we don't have access to it. It's uh, kind of deep in yeah. our so in our unconscious. Yeah. So it can be, um, you know, deep in our subconscious, and we don't have access to it. So if if the defenses or the protective parts have, you know, if we have a part that maybe dissociates, 
It is mm. possible to our exiles have been completely exiled. But we can also have access to our exiles, but we have other parts, the protective parts, that their job is to make sure that the exile, um, you know, isn't seen. So maybe I might know that I have an exile who feels ashamed, but I might want you to know about it. So I'll have maybe a very hard working manager part who, who works very hard to make sure that as it you know sees it that I'm perfect. So you don't know about my shame because I might mm. feel that intense burning shame. And, you know, if we come back to the body, I might feel it as a burning sensation in my stomach. I might, I may or may not label that as shame, but I'll certainly know about the intense burning sensation that makes sure that ensures that my managers then have to come in and protect against that in some way. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And do these parts almost like um, take over the driving seat? Is that, do we be kind of become... Uh, embodied by them yeah certainly the uh, protective parts would very much take over the driving seat and 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 that actually brings us to a very important um, topic that we need to talk about when when it comes to internal family systems and this is the idea of self because I think you know in IFS a lot of the the parts get a lot of attention but actually self energy so so self is the one who is not a part Right. So it, it can be quite a hard concept to describe and to understand initially. And my favorite metaphor for describing self energy um, is the idea of, of if you think about an orchestra and in an orchestra, you have all of these different parts in different sections within the orchestra. And then you have the conductor and the conductor's job is to make sure that all of the different parts and sections in the orchestra play in harmony. And to notice if one part is taking over, as you were saying. So I think of the conductor as the self, the one whose job it is to lead all of the different parts. And it's it's not really a part of the orchestra. It's kind of overseeing. So initially, when Dick Schwartz developed internal family systems, he set up um, an organization to oversee it. And he called it the Center for Self-Leadership, because another way of thinking about self is, is the one who uh, leads the system and whose job it is to listen to all of the different parts and make sure that they're all heard and then make the decision, a self-led decision that's in the best interests of, of everybody. Um, so I may have drifted away a little bit from your question, but I, I think it's just an important concept to, to understand in IFS. And, and I'll definitely uh, come back to self. Um, uh, I just thinking of those parts, um, there's, I wonder how they map onto other psychotherapies in my own uh, mind. I'm thinking about CBT. And mm. if we think of in CBT, the concepts of um, core beliefs, uh, rules for living, um, uh, maybe even unhelpful coping strategies, yeah. um, you know, the cognitive model of CBT. So how it um, tries to interpret, you know, uh, our belief structure and how our belief structure can lead us to interpret the world and act out in the world. So our core beliefs might be those very rigid uh, yeah. or beliefs we have about ourselves or others. I wonder if that could be like maybe an exile yeah. part, like I'm not good enough. Yeah. And then we use, um, so if we have that core belief about ourselves, then we'll use rules and assumptions to understand how we need to act in the world. So if I'm stupid, then my rule is, well, I need to either, I need to come across really smart or I need to, you shouldn't put your own opinions forward because people will find out that you're, you're stupid. And um, so these, these rules can uh, 
maintain the problem because we never exposed herself to it. Um, I just wonder if there seems to be some kind of overlap yeah. there. Uh, and yeah. then unhelpful coping strategies from a CPT perspective might be, you know, binge eating food, yeah. um, maybe overworking, um, yeah. you know, staying in bed, you know, those things that help soothe yeah. those emotions. So yeah. do you think that is maybe where there could be an overlap between CBT? Um, or... Yeah, I, I think that's a really great question, James. And then I think you're, um, you obviously have some, you know, pretty good understanding of internal family systems to ask that question because actually one of the the key processes, the key healing um, process in IFS is unburdening exile. So we, we have this process in IFS where we unburden or release um, the burdens that the exiles carry. So in CBT, you might, or in other therapies, you might think about that as an assumption or a core belief or a limiting belief. Um, mm. So if I have a part, an exiled part that f- carries a lot of shame, the burden the exiled part could be, I could call it shame, or it could be that that exiled part might be a five-year-old girl who got mm. shamed, you know, and then carries this burden or this belief that there's something wrong with me. And in IFS, we have a process, um, it's called the healing steps to help unburden or release um, that core belief about um, you know, that the exile carries. And that then the five-year-old grows up and I might be a 55-year-old woman, but there's a little part in me that still carries that core belief and, you know, could be that gets triggered in situations that might remind me of, of the past or, yeah. So 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 that's where I think the, some of the overlap is. Um, and also with schema therapy too, I'm thinking about, um, even though I don't know a lot about it, but I've heard, you know, it's a schema therapy is, yeah. Those, those mm. are, I think it's are, very similar to those. Um, mm. Yes, sorry? Yeah, it's very, uh, well, from my understanding of it, yeah, it's, it's very much the cognitive side of CBT, mm. um, but very much those kind of belief systems that we have. Yeah, and the other thing I'm thinking about is transactional analysis as well, you know, where where you have the, the parent, adult, child, but you also have the, um, you know, the beliefs and, and uh, uh, yeah. Mm, yeah it comes up in uh i guess that idea of parts it's uh goes back to kind of carl jung i'm not sure maybe even freud you know the kind of id ego the superego jung's work was very much about subpersonalities as you said transactional analysis gestalt therapy Uh, it comes up in lots of ways psychosynthesis ego states therapy yeah there are Mm, lots of models that yeah use parts language yeah Um, and i wonder then where cbt and uh, ifs may diverge is with uh, IFS, a big part of it is kind of getting permission to work with an exile. Uh, and I wonder if maybe that's where other therapies may go wrong, from an IFS perspective at least. Because, you know, sometimes it can be uh, maybe a bit of a, a power struggle for challenging beliefs or making changes. Um, whereas IFS would take a gentler approach, almost kind of asking permission from those protector parts before you go there. Would you mind kind of just talking about that a little bit? Yeah. Right? Yeah, again, great question, James, and uh, showing your understanding, I think, of, of the model of IFS, because you're absolutely right. Um, so um, one of the really, really important things in IFS is pacing and permission and patience. Um, so, you know, I know when I was doing my, my uh, training, um, one of the things I really you know learned and picked up on is in IFS, we go slow to go fast. Um, and the reason that we go slow is because we need to get permission from protectors um, in order to go to exile. So it's it's like um, 
I've recently been doing some research in a related area and and I remember one of the, the people I was interviewing, not specifically about IFS, but it reminds me of this, it's a very good metaphor, is I have this shiny new tool, right? I have this shiny new tool of it could be IFS or it could be EMDR or another therapy and I am going to take you to the heart of where you need to go, right? And actually what will happen if I do that as a psychotherapist is my client's protective parts will say, uh-uh, because they'll just kick in and they'll do what they've always been doing, which is protecting the more vulnerable parts in the person's system. So that's why it's really important to get permission. So I may have this shiny new tool, but the way that I use it, I think has to be done with a lot of permission, a lot of patience, a lot of pacing. So checking with the protectors, is it okay? Are you willing? So let's say I have a shamed part and I have um, a critical manager who's saying, oh, oh uh, you know, we can't let anybody know that there's this vulnerable, shamed part inside the system. So the, the critic will say, you know, start uh, being critical of the client. And what I might say is, okay, so I hear that there's a critical part. First of all, can you appreciate that critical part for how hard it has worked? Um, to protect you. So giving a lot of validation, a lot of appreciation, and and then asking the critical part, would it be willing to give permission for me to go and talk to the one who carries the shame or the shamed part in your system? And sometimes the critical part, just to give an example, I think it's better to work the examples rather than extract, mm. abstractly, might say, yes, I'm willing to sit sit back, and, and but I'll come back in if I need to. Or it may say, no, and then I'll have to work with the critical part and find out more about its fears and its concerns and why it's not willing to give permission. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that is a key difference of between IFS and other, um, you know, um, modalities that can then set up power struggles. So if, if I'm coming in with my shiny new tool and saying, I'm going to take you, I know where you need to go and I'm going ahead of my client, the client system will just you know, start to protect itself because um, that's what it needs to do. And that can create power struggles in therapy. And that's that's what's different about IFS is you, I don't have those power struggles with my clients. Mm. I, might, I might have, I mean, it's not always easy to work with protectors. Um, but as I said, the slower we go, the faster we go in IFS. So we might need to spend quite a bit of time working with the, the client's protective system in order to get permission um, to go to the exiles. But that time is time that's well uh, spent up front um, getting that permission. You know, that that um, draws me to a point that I find that uh, is extremely interesting about IFS um, and may even be controversial in some parts would be how um, I think this Dick Swartz has said himself that he's never found a part that was purely evil or destructive. You know that uh, he's worked with um, sex offenders or people that might have done, you know, very serious crimes, and he seems to always come to the conclusion that the parts that may act out here are, I'm assuming, kind of rooted in trauma or they're doing something to try and protect someone, but with obviously disastrous consequences. You know, and again, I think this comes back to the core tenet of of IFS has been a non-pathologizing model of psychotherapy. So um, some of the things we say in IFS is all parts are welcome and all parts have good intention. So 
And remember, I said earlier that even the parts where the impact is maybe counterproductive, um, so like that critical perfectionist part or the one who, you know, wants to, 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 to you to, to come across as being smart, um, that part has good intention, but sometimes the impact of that good intention can actually give you the opposite it can it can bring the opposite of what the part is trying to achieve but the the point here that you're you're making and it's a very good point is that all parts have good intention so even the parts like sex offender parts right so and i haven't worked myself with sex offenders but i know as you said dick has and he has he's talked about that and i know other therapists have worked with with people who have sex offended so um yeah so those are, you know, parts that are obviously, you know, kind of often exiled in our society and and often come from, you know, hurt, wounded um, places. Um, so people who have been hurt, hurt. So so I think just working will, will OK, what's what's going on here? What 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 is the, the, the intention of this part? How is it trying to help um, and maybe covering up for a very ashamed wounded, vulnerable exile in that person. Um, so, yeah. Um, As you say, so often these uh, people that commit these kind of uh, crimes are um, victims themselves at a young age. So, you know, it's quite often rooted in some kind of overwhelming experience or probably complex even uh, repeated overwhelming yeah. experiences. Yeah. When we think about these parts, are they maybe kind of considered archetypal? By that I mean, you know, are they kind of common to everyone? Like we might have uh, inner critic, maybe even a joker part. Um, it makes me kind of think of you know the Pixar film Inside Out, Inside where they've got out, the yeah. different emotions, yeah. and all yeah. of the people seem to have the kind of same emotions. Although the dad will have one with a mustache. Um, uh, <laughs> would that be uh, considered to be the case? Um, yes and no. So there are definitely parts that are common, um, you know, between different people. But of course, as, as you know, you know, as, as a therapist, each each person is an individual with their own individual history and their own individual personality and their own individual beliefs. So while there are parts that are common, as you named, like, you know, the critic or maybe the uh, the shaming one or, you know, the joker, there are every system, everybody's system is unique. And what's unique, remember, is this is an internal system. It's not just parts in isolation. And it's also how the parts interact with each other um, and that's going to look very different in my system than it's going to look in your system um, you know and also there are big cultural influences here so obviously we're two white people you know two Irish white people but um, you know there are lots of, of people living in Ireland today who have so many different cultural um, you know there's such a, a rich a rich uh, racial mix in Ireland now so all of that obviously you know the because the, Systems, internal systems are obviously influenced by external systems. So your family mm. system, your community system, um, you know, your nation, your race, etc. Um, yeah, so so there's lots of parts in common and there, um, the, the individual configuration varies so much from person to person. And depending on, there's so many influences on that. Of course, I can imagine it's uh, an unlimited amount of different types of parts that could be there in the same way that there's a limited amount of different types of people. And so we spent a bit of time talking about uh, the exile parts, the managers and the firefighters. And I guess we've talked about how they they're like an internal system. They can kind of have their own relationships. So so there might be kind of clusters where 
a manager and exactly. a an ex, an manager and a firefighter look after an exile or protect the exile and um, if we could maybe talk a little bit about the self because i guess my understanding is the self is not the one to say if it's the most important part but for healing at least it seems to be the most important part and um, could we talk a little bit more about what we mean by the the self yeah, so I was I was uh, alluded to this a little bit earlier, talked about it a little bit earlier when I was talking about my favourite metaphor to, the, to to describe something that people can kind of, I think I've my experience with clients is some people, some clients get it straight away and some clients struggle um, with the concept of self. Um, so I like to use that metaphor of the conductor of the orchestra because that was the one that really helped me um, to understand the idea of self or self-energy or self-leadership when I was... Uh, learning this model in the beginning um, so and and you know I'm thinking what's, what's coming to mind for me now as we're talking about self is also the idea of self from spiritual traditions and and Dick has written a book with a guy called Robert Robert Faulkner and it's called Many Minds One Self and what um, Robert Faulkner is, is is a guy who's worked with IFS for a long time with a particular interest in addiction and, and, and other things as well and um, he's he looked at all the different world religions and looked at what was common to all of them was this idea of you know a self a higher self um, so in Buddhism in Hinduism in Christianity um, and so yeah so this is common to all spiritual traditions and it's, it is at the core of internal family systems because when when you have a system, an internal system, an unhealed, burdened system that's been run by parts because the protective parts have taken over because they don't trust self-energy, when you can heal that system by unburdening those core beliefs, those you know limiting beliefs, those assumptions, those burdens, then self can be back in charge and 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 listen to all of the different parts and be running the internal system again. And that's what heals in internal family systems. Is having that self leadership where it's having it... that self self yeah, self energy. So yeah, self led, self energy, self healing, self leadership, different ways to describe it. And you mentioned there that um those other parts can uh, kind of run the system. Um and isn't part of it because they mightn't trust the self because it didn't protect them at the time? Yeah, or because, you know, if you think about a child, a young child might not have a well-developed sense of self, right? Because mm -hmm. that's that's developmental tasks of growing up is um, that we have caregivers who, you know, help us to develop our, our own self-energy. Um, and if, if you're growing up in a system maybe where that's not supported um, and you don't have access to self and you don't have access to your parents' self, your caregiver's self for whatever reason, um, you know, maybe because they didn't get it, there could be intergenerational um, legacies of, of, of trauma that get passed on in, in families. Um, yeah, and then you don't develop that self, um, then the parts take over because that's, you know, we're, we're, we're wired um, for connection but we're also wired to survive so so the protective parts will come in and they often come in at an early age if if, if there's uh, you know a family history of, of trauma or childhood trauma and remember trauma isn't just you know the things that happened it can also be the things that didn't happen too so um, so trauma you know, by uh, uh, omission, omission as well as, as, well as commission mm, yeah yeah, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And and something that popped into mind there, you mentioned that you know some people will kind of get get it the concept of self, and uh, whereas some people that mightn't be um kind of they mightn't uh, relate to it as much. And I wonder for some people maybe when they've been you know had such a difficult past. I wonder if the the self isn't there as much, you know, if that could be why they don't pick up on that idea as much. It's it's always yeah. firefighters yeah. or managers that are in yeah. the, the driving seat. Yeah. And it also makes me think about, I'm not sure am I correct in thinking this, but I, with some, not to go down the pathological routes, but with per, some personality disorders, uh, I think maybe a, a symptom of it is not having a sense of self. You know, I don't know who I am. I, it's almost like that fragmented personality where it's all these different parts taken over. Um, so I wonder if that may, from an IFS perspective, yeah. explain why people with personality disorders who would traditionally have a lot yeah. more chronic abuse and may yeah. not have that access to self. That's another super question, James. Um, I'm really appreciating your questions because they're so insightful. And, and what comes to mind when you say that, um, there's two things. Um, one is that Dick Schwartz believes that the self is inherent, is, is, is present in every single person. So even the most wounded, um, you know, the, the most disturbed people, he believes that they do have a core of self-energy. And the second thing is that it's the metaphor, I think, that helps, again, to maybe to understand this. It's, it's like the sun is always there, right? The sun is always there, but often it's covered over by clouds and we forget that it's day, there on those cloudy days. So if you think about the sun as self-energy and then the, the clouds as the protectors, and there might be days where the clouds never part, where the protectors aren't allowed to, uh, you know, to, to relax, to, to give you access to self-energy. And that in some systems that can go on for, you know, not just days or months, but it can go on for years. But remember, the sun is always there. It just We just have to find an IFS gives us a way to help the clouds to part in a safe way. Because if somebody's system is so defended, that they don't have access to self-energy, even if the self is there. Um, but you have to be very careful about working in a system like that. Um, mm. But yeah. But it, it is very hopeful that we that self is always there. Um, and it also makes me think about how, you know, the idea of self-help, uh, it's like the ultimate self-help because it is in its purest sense uh, that self is helping the self. Yeah. Um, so I get the sense that we might know if maybe a manager part uh, is in the driving seat because maybe they're telling us what to do or if a firefighter is in the seat because they're trying to, you know, uh, calm us down, you know, do things that help regulate our emotions or maybe even if an exile is in the driving seat because maybe we're experiencing a lot of strong negative emotion. Um, How would we know when we're embodying self or that self energy? So... One of the ways that I know I'm in self-energy is um, when I just feel a sense of calm in my body. Um, uh, So when my heart is open is another way. When my mind is open, when I have an open curiosity where I'm not trying to, you know, come in with an agenda and fix the client where I'm just, I'm being really open-minded, really curious about what's going on with them. And when I'm also open-hearted, so I feel this sense of love, and I mean love in you know the, the broadest sense of the word, um, a sense of love, a sense of compassion um, for the person in front of me. And, and Dick Schwartz describes this as he knows he's in self-energy when he feels he gets a lovely uh, tingling 
in, in a sensation in his in his body and and I've had that feeling too um you know those uh um when, when you know I'm just thinking of some sessions where there's just so much self energy and you can just feel it you know it just feels expansive um, and there's a real sense of connection. So one of the things in IFS that you'll come across if you even dip a toe in the water is the eight C's of self. Um, so, you know, there are many words that can be used to describe it, but Richard Schwartz, Dick Schwartz came up with these eight words. Um, so compassion, curiosity, calm, confidence, connection, creativity, and I've forgotten a couple of them, but you know, those, 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 the, the three key ones are compassion, curiosity. So compassion for me is open-heartedness, curiosity is open-mindedness, and then a sense of calmness, All right? So I'm in regulation. I'm, you know, if you use some of the language of polyvagal, I'm, or I'm in that window of tolerance. So I have, I'm able to, because remember, when, when we sit with the client, my, sometimes with those clients who maybe don't have access to self-energy, I'm lending my self-energy to their system. Um, or another way of saying that might be that I'm helping to regulate my client's system by being regulated. So I'm being the regulating other. Now, this isn't, this is polyvagal language that I'm bringing in here, but I, I think it helps to understand that idea of, of self as well. Is, is yeah, co-regulation being the, yeah, co the term in polyvagal. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, you know the it's uh i mean there's so much that comes to mind from that um so i guess on one hand we i guess and that's the curative nature of the self so the self can be uh we can embody self and that can help someone access their own self or help work with those parts if they don't have access to that self but ideally maybe a goal of ifs is to get someone to be self-led and to be able to kind of cure those parts and i want to come back to that in a moment just think about do you know how that comes up in session or what someone does but it just makes me think of an idea or other ideas that come up across other types of therapies uh, and one thing that makes me it makes me think of is the idea of unconditional positive regard and um, so the concept uh carol rogers the um not sure is the founding father of humanistic therapy the right uh, uh title but you know that's uh, the technique where it's yeah. kind of showing complete um uh, kind of support and acceptance of clients which makes me really think I wonder if that's the energy the same self-energy that he was channeling that he considered to be uh, by and large a massive part of helping someone um, helping someone uh, get to where they want to be um, and get and you know help them reach their goals that they came or to, to manage the problems that they came to therapy for um, and another yeah. thing that came up that only came up actually came up around the time I came, I came across IFS was uh for my birthday i got a subscription to masterclass i'm not sure if you heard of it it's been um on you see well, you see a lot of ads for it not so much anymore but it's like online classes with experts so they might have a film director would kind of give you ideas about how you could make films yourself or writers would tell you how you could um write better and uh, i went through them and to be honest not of them not many of them really appealed to me but there was one that i said oh this guy might be uh, interesting his name is chris voss he was an fbi hostage negotiator and um, so i listened to one of the the, the first episodes and he, he's talked about one of the keys to to being able to communicate in these situations was to use um curiosity and it's just at the same time that i uh, was learning about ifs in the eight c's and i was like that's interesting that there's something about uh curiosity and compassion i think you mentioned as well that helps bring down these guards so that you can communicate with other people so again another example of how these concepts come up in 
different um, fields. So mm. even though they're hard to prove scientifically, if something keeps coming up and it's mapped on this and this and this, then there must be something to it. Mm. Um, if we could just come back to the idea of how the self is curative, you know, what the self does with the the um, exiles, maybe with the firefighters and the, the, the managers. Um, could we kind of talk about, you know, what it is that you're hoping to achieve or hoping to coach or guide uh, uh, a client towards? Yeah. Yeah, so I suppose, I mean, there are, you know, clearly defined goals of IFS therapy. Um, so, um, you know, one of the goals of IFS therapy is to unburden, um, you know, those self-limiting beliefs or core beliefs um, that the parts carry, uh, particularly the exiled parts. Another one is to restore harmony in the, in the inner system so that, you know, parts are working together um, rather than against each other. Um, and another one is to restore self-leadership and and that manifests not just internally but also in your you know inner working in your inner relationships in your inner world but also externally so if i'm in self-energy and i think you you were referring to this you know, when you're talking about carl rogers because i think he just embodied so much self-energy right I've, I've i've watched some recordings of him working and i mean you can just you can feel his self-energy you know there's that that sense and I think we can feel this from spiritual masters as well they just embody so much self-energy um, so I think what we're trying to do in IFS is to put the person's self back in charge of the system so um, and and as you said earlier you know to get parts to trust self so they can step back and, and allow self to be more present and that and and really you know, I, I'm very much, you know, I know IFS is a relational psychotherapy. It's very much about the inner relationships, but by healing the inner relationships, it also allows us to help the heal the outer relationships. So, you know, the, the relationships that matter with your family, your friends, your co-workers in your community. Um, and, and, that, and that, I think, is really the gift of IFS is, 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 helping to heal those inner relationships by putting self back in charge then allows us to um, show up more for, for the people in our lives and to be able to you know take in um, other people's self-energy as well and, and have loving relationships. Um, I can only imagine how it must help with those um, you know not only do you feel better yourself but your interpersonal relationships improve because your managers aren't being triggered as easily exactly. and maybe you've got more kind of control of them. Um, or, you know, you can call upon them when you want to rather than them charging ahead. Uh, so the, the main goals of it would be to kind of unburden those exiles to integrate the family um, under the uh, self-led leadership, which it kind of makes me think about. And it's not something I know a huge amount about, but with Jungian psychodynamic therapy, it's kind of like integrating our parts, yeah. um, which as far as I know is kind of like, you know, if we have an angry part, Anger isn't necessarily bad, but unbridled anger is bad. So it's where you can integrate that part. So when you want to be angry or assertive or defend yourself, you can call upon it rather exactly. than it kind of coming out of its own accord. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah and, and, and that reminds me as well that, you know, um, one of the other things that happens when we, you know, work with protectors is, you know, protectors have often been protecting, as I said, for a long time and we can they can transform their role so if you have anger for example a protective part of anger and it's getting triggered a lot and you're an angry person in your life well 
what would that anger rather do? Yeah, as you say, it could help you to stand up for yourself and be assertive in situations. So it's something that you can call on, self can call on as needed, rather than the anger being the one who's out front because, you know, doesn't trust yourself energy. Um, so that's the integration piece. Mm. So it's relieved of its previous duties and it maybe takes up something that it, it would rather be doing. Because I think that's a part with it. A lot of a lot of the parts are kind of exhausted and they don't really want to do these duties, but they feel like they have to. Cause there's no yeah. alternative. Yeah. Yeah. And remember, they took on the roles at a time when they were needed for survival. But often parts don't know, those protective parts don't know. They don't realize that James is no longer the five year old boy or Marie is no longer the six year old girl. So they're still doing what they've always done so in IFS there's also a process of updating these parts and okay you know there's this what we call a two-way street it's so there's a lot of work in IFS in, in connecting itself to part but also part to self so the, one of the key questions in internal family systems is how do you feel towards the part so when I'm working with a client we'll identify a part and then I'll say how do you feel towards the part okay and you might say oh i don't like i don't like that anger because it gets me in trouble a lot okay i'll say okay so that's another part and then we'll keep going until we um you know we're able to get parts to to relax and give us access to the the ones that they're protecting and then helping to unburden uh, them so so yeah so so as i was saying it's self to part but also does the angry one know that you're no you know what age does that angry one think you are Oh, what age was it when it took on its role? Five. What age does it think you are now? It might say, you know, the answers vary. It might say 15. Okay, so ask the angry one to look at James. What age? And, and then you might do an updating. So you might let, I might say, let, let that part, let that angry part know what age you actually are. I don't know what age you are, James. Well, let's say 30, for example. And, I'll take that. 32, oh, but I'll take 30. 32, okay. And, and then, okay, so... What's it like for the angry one to know that you're no longer that five-year-old boy or that 15-year-old boy and to know that you're actually, you're all grown up now and you're, and I might ask, you know, um, I might ask the, the, the client to let the part know something about your life that they can believe it. Oh, you're a dad and, you know, you have a job and you have a car and yeah. So just there's that updating process that mm. takes place because remember trauma is, 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 experiences that are frozen back in time so so and ifs is very much a trauma modality so one of the things that because i i am very interested in working with uh, childhood trauma and it's one of the reasons that you know drew me to ifs um, is because it is a really powerful effective way of working with um early trauma childhood trauma relational trauma attachment trauma development trauma whatever you want to call it um, so yeah so sometimes there's updating that needs to happen because these parts are still as you said you know they're still playing these roles that they took on but that are no longer needed but it's like they don't know that they don't know that they don't know that they don't need to do this anymore um, so it can be a big relief to them when they hear that actually mm, I imagine it must be, it could be so transformational just like the light bulb moments must be incredible um, and you mentioned uh, those parts, you know, they don't know how old you are now or, you know, what you, you do now. And it makes me think about a, an idea with uh, trauma, traumatic memories being kind of isolated from mm. our regular memories. Now, I'm not this is mm. beyond the edge of my knowledge, but it's, so I'm not sure if this is something that's been proven with newer imaging. But it's, yeah, it's like those, when those memories are created, they're not, 
they're they're stored separately to and they don't have access to the rest of our brain so i guess that's yeah. like an idea of going back yeah. to unburden to heal that yeah. that inner child part yeah yeah and and what's coming up for me is you're talking about that you know i think you're you're, you're kind of referencing dissociation is um again in the spirit of ifs being a non-pathologizing um modality of psychotherapy is we think of dissociation as being on a continuum because we all have dissociating parts. I, I, you know, I dissociate when I look out the window and kind of maybe tune out something that I don't want to hear, I don't want to be a part of. So I, I can do that either consciously or unconsciously. So that's one end of the spectrum um, all the way to where you have, you know, these, these um, dissociative disorders or, or even uh, DID, dissociative identity disorder. So, so IFS thinks of dissociation as being on a continuum. And most people, of course, are somewhere in the middle where we might have some memories that are kind of split off from conscious awareness, um, but we might have access to other memories. Mm. And, you know, it's a, it's a very complex uh, subject, so I'm sure we could talk about that for so much. Yeah. But um, um, if we were to think about... Uh, where you would find an IFS therapist, Marie, because you know this is something I only came across recently, and I'm not sure if there's many in Ireland. But if someone was to be looking for an IFS therapist, where would they look? Yeah, that's that's uh, a really great question because um, in Ireland, I think we're just uh, there's there's no actual Irish Internal Family Systems Organization or directory. So if you want to find an IFS therapist, you have to look um, to the UK or to the US. So in the UK, there's a really um, well-developed um, training organization called IFS UK Training, and they have a website. And on their website, um, they provide a list of a directory listing of uh, people who have gone through the training process with them. Um, so there are three levels of training in IFS, level one, two, and three. And um, they list all the people who have uh, completed that training, who have, you know, um, um, volunteered to have their names on the website. So that's in the UK. And I can give you that website address or you can put it on the show notes if you want to. Yeah, if you want to just give it to us now, if you have it handy, yeah. Marie. Um, so I'll just find it here. So it's internalfamilysystemstraining.co.uk um, backslash directory. So, um, so if anyone's looking IFS for... Uh, uh, IFS therapist that's where they'll find people who have put their name forward having done the training yeah um, and then in the, the US there is the IFS Institute in the United States and that's ifs-institute.com and uh, I always get my back slash my forward slash mixed up James but it's it's a slash practitioners um, so that's so but if you just google IFS uh, internal family systems uh, US or Internal Family Systems Institute US, um, it'll pop up and ifs-institute.com. If you if you find that, um, you know that the homepage you you'll be able to find the the listing of um, therapists and practitioners in, in the United States. Now at the moment there's a huge demand, a heavy demand for IFS therapy both in Ireland and in the UK and and Europe and across the world and. There have even been some trainings in, in China, as far away as China. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have enough trained therapists yet um, uh, to meet the demand. So what I would advise if you are looking, if, you, if you're listening to this and you're interested in getting an IFS therapist, is to go on to either of those websites and just you know keep trying until you find somebody. You just persist because um, it, 
maybe you might may find it a little bit difficult if so if the first few people aren't available just keep trying great and i assume that it's uh it's uh works well over over on online it absolutely works well online when i did my my level one training i remember this was before COVID and before everybody got used to doing therapy on zoom and other platforms and this came up and actually the lead trainer paul ginter said oh yeah he said yeah you can do ifs uh, you know you don't have to be in in person you can do it online and i remember looking at him thinking you must be crazy and then i i did actually start to use it online myself and because the, the process is so internal often i'm working with people with their eyes closed so it absolutely works um mm. online and that's been my experience yeah well, I could talk to you all day, Marie, but um, we are out of time now. I really appreciate uh, uh, having you join me today. Uh, it's been extremely informative and IFS is something that I'm going to follow astutely over time and definitely something I'm, I, when I get to time, because I know it's uh, quite a commitment to, to do the training. And, um, it's something I'll definitely, at some stage, I'm sure I'll uh, commit to. You're very welcome, James. And, and I'm really, you know, so honoured that you invited me to be a guest on your podcast and I wish you the very best of luck with it and with everything that you're doing. Thanks very much, Ray. I'm sure we'll be in touch at some stage in the future. <laughs>